Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, brought to you by Global Scholars. I'm Stan Wallace, your host, and today's topic is how to choose a college. My guest is Dr. David Wonder. Dave has a great deal of experience in both secular and Christian college contexts. He did his undergraduate degree at a small public university and his PhD at a large public university. He has also taught and now serves as Dean of Faculty Development and Research Initiatives at Calvin University, a leading Christian institution. So Dave is able to help us understand the range of educational opportunities and the pros and cons of each. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Very, very happy to have this conversation, Stan. Well, Dave, you did your undergraduate degree and then your doctorate at public universities. And now you have taught for a number of years at Calvin, a Christian university, as well as are in senior leadership there. So maybe more than anybody, at least that I know, you have a perspective on both public and Christian higher education that few do. So my first question is, what is it that the Christian college offers students to help them both intellectually and spiritually flourish? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think it goes to, to the heart of, of a decision for where to study as an undergrad. I'll, I'll say a few things. At their best, Christian colleges and universities are nurturing, equipping, and developing students uh, in every dimension. It's certainly in the spiritual dimension, in their faith, what, what some might call their, their personal relationship with Jesus and, and how they're, they're growing in that way. I want to be careful here because I'm, I'm going to call that as a, a focus, but I'm also going to weave that into every other aspect of what we do with students. I think about a student thriving. I think about a student who's certainly growing in their faith, but that growth is, is spiritual. It's uh, in their intellect. It's in their heart. It's in their soul. And so the project that Christian Higher Ed has is, is thinking about uh, a student as a whole person and thinking about a student as someone who's going to be mobilized and equipped for a lifetime of kingdom work. And so we, we take very seriously what it means for a student in any discipline or any practice area to do that from a Christian perspective and to think about what, what the implications are for uh, a student studying business and what it, what it means to do business with a Christian framework. But business is just an example. So, you know, in every class, in every program, the intent and, and the goal is to infuse course content, course outcomes, uh, student learning, not just to learn the, the core competencies of, of the discipline of practice area, but, but really how best to, to think about what it means to, to practice and to, to enter into that discipline as a Christian. What happens is it it really livens the conversation. What it does is it it leavens also the the, the conversation with long term real world world implications. So we're, we're very serious about intellect, the life of the mind. Certainly very very serious about what happens for a student uh, with their faith in terms of fellowship, in terms of community. What happens outside of the classroom maybe is a a, a way to categorize sure. that. So tremendous opportunities for community and fellowship and outreach and study and worship 
that happens across campus in multiple dimensions. What really differentiates Christian higher education from um, secular education is when done well and at its best, there's no way to duplicate what happens in the classroom um, in terms of the development of the intellect, development of the mind, and, and how that is actually coupled with God's call in our life. How it's not just a kludge, it's not just a force fit, but it's, it's a natural dynamic working out of faith that we, we have this relationship with Christ, and it has eternal implications, uh, but it also has very um, clear implications for how we, we work, how we live, and how we, we do our work leaving the university or leaving the college. What are the downsides? What are the unique challenges that a student might face in a Christian environment? And, and how do students think about overcoming those challenges? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I've thought about this a couple ways. What I just described is, is what, I, what I call the faith integration, the holistic, the categorical. It's possible that that doesn't happen to the fullest extent. I think it's possible at some colleges or university where, universities where it's a Christian environment. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to, to be. But there, there, there may be some, some misses in the classroom. In, in terms of, of integration. Qualifier, I mean, my, my experience entirely has been at Calvin University, so I don't have authentic comparison points. But I, I, do, I do think it's possible that a, a class at a Christian college could look an awful lot like a class at a secular college, with the exception of occasional insertion of, you know, scripture and devotionals and prayer. Now, not that, that those, are, those are great. I don't think the potential for complete development is hit when you have, have that kind of absence in, in the classroom. Another concern or potential downfall is, and I think this is related, and I'm, I'm going to use a paradigm, a three-legged paradigm, to describe aspects of Christian life or aspects of, you know, a Christian work and life. And this is going to be overgeneralized, but I'm just going to use it. Uh, one, one pillar would be pietistic. Those practices, those personal practices of piety are prioritized. Necessarily so. so. As. Well, prayer, Bible study, uh, worship, uh, fasting, th- those things that tend to be a bit more private and a bit more secluded and not ne- necessarily seen, but integral and important to, to Christian life. So that's, that would be one, one leg of this, this, um, this paradigm. A second would be uh, sound doctrine, right? So that we, we, are investing a lot of time and energy getting our doctrine right. And so that's important too. That's significant. And it, it, these, aren't, these aren't discrete legs that there's overlap. It's more like, maybe more like a Venn diagram. And I think a third leg would, would be this idea of what are the impacts of the Christian movement and the Christian church in the world? In other words, how do we, how do we think about transformation occurring? So the third leg would be being transformationalist. And that's important too. Right, so this idea that we're engaged in, in building the kingdom and seeing the kingdom come now and eventually, and what that means for transformation of lives and society and systems, all that to say—that's a long way of getting to this punchline. I think it's it's possible that there can be an imbalance where that where the, the Venn diagram that that I've described maybe overemphasizes one of those aspects over another. I, I think if 
if there's an imbalance or there's there's some misplacement, that there's a miss. There's a potential to really miss the opportunity for um, an undergraduate student over the four years of their time at a university. So I think that Venn diagram analogy is helpful. If a student and his or her parents are visiting a Christian college or university, are there easy ways to identify if there's an imbalance or the questions they ought to be asking, things they ought to be looking for to maybe give them pointers to see how healthy of an environment that is in those three ways? So that's a great question. You know, th- thinking about trying to size up and understand what, what the experience looks like for a student, the, the value of a campus visit or even a couple campus visits um, I can't overemphasize the value. I think often, if it's possible, two campus visits make the most sense. And, you know, in, in an ideal world, and I, and I think about this uh, with my daughter, who's a senior in high school, we're going through this very process of discernment. We're looking at a, a long list of colleges and universities and asking many of these same questions. Taking a visit to a, a campus and certainly gathering the necessary information that you, you, you have to gather in order to, to make a go, no-go decision, you know, financial aid, whether the program that you're interested in is, is available. And, and maybe I'll save that for a later part of the conversation, but I, I think the best way to, to get to the ethos and the, the overall project of a campus is to visit with professors, visit classrooms, and spend time with students. And that takes time. That takes an investment. But I, I, I can't, again, I can't overemphasize how significant those conversations and those times can be for parents and students. If possible, you, you redo the cycle a second time. After you've shortlisted it to a smaller group of colleges and universities, you go back and you've got a little more right. information. You do some tuning, right, on your, on your um, antenna and you, you, you start looking for some of that information that that maybe is critical, maybe is missing from previously, but conversations with faculty, conversations with students, and I think time on campus. A lot of Christian colleges and universities will host students for sleepovers and stayovers where they really get immersed as much as possible into the campus experience. So that the possibility of putting yourself in places where you can actually imagine yourself thriving for four years is, is what you want to enter into as much as possible. Get to get to that point where, where you know enough and you can imagine thriving in that setting, in that place. Do you know of any guidebook that's been written? I, I don't, but there's probably something out there. Do you, do you know? There are guidebooks for how to enter into the process. I, I think that the basic steps uh, and with the web so, so populated and so accessible now, it's very easy to, to gather information mm-hmm. remotely, especially in the last five or six months. Uh, most colleges and universities have, if they didn't already, they have tooled up and geared up to do virtual mm-hmm. visits. And so that makes maybe a first visit that much easier. You miss out, obviously, on being physically present and walking to campus and, and having in-person conversations and experiences. But it's a, it's a great way to begin to, to understand what the project of the, the college or university is and what life there could, could look like for you. Well, let me ask you to take your Calvin hat off and okay. put on the hat of somebody who has spent what, eight, nine years as a Christian student in several public universities. 
What things have you pursued to really flourish as a Christian during those years? Uh, or maybe you wish you had pursued and did not, or others you knew, what were the things that really helped them as Christians thrive, as you say, in that secular university context? Yeah. Well, I mean, so there, there are some obvious, obvious answers. Becoming part of an authentic faith community, I think, is, is really a drop-dead categorical must-happen for and, and I would say that that's a requirement, whether it's a secular university or a Christian sure. university. So finding authentic Christian community where you're being challenged, you're being encouraged, you're held accountable, you're held up as a Christ follower, finding that, that authentic community is, is imperative. And I think that can happen in a couple ways, at least a couple ways. It's not unusual, at, especially at larger universities, to have really solid churches close to campus that students plug into and become part of, you know, so that they're being fed Sunday mornings and they're involved in, in communal worship, but also opportunities to, to plug in outside. Do of you that. have any tips? How do, how, do you, how do you find a good church when you show up on campus? I think two things. One, if you can make a connection and it, it shouldn't be hard if you can find a connection with, you know, staff or students that are part of a parachurch uh, ministry, uh, even if even if you don't end up plugging into that um, as a student, you're going to learn a lot about which churches students are going to. Also doing a web search, you know, for the region and looking at churches that are close by and proximate to campus and where there, there seems to be a healthy college ministry where there's there's some longevity, there's some stability, some sustainability. And so I think there are a number of ways that you can, you can make connections with local churches. That makes sense. I think a third way for a student, you know, a, a Christ follower at a, a secular university to, to thrive it is to become involved with Christian organizations that aren't necessarily and directly linked to, to churches or denominations, like crew, like university, like navigators. I mean, I could keep going down the list. So many across the country, in fact, across the world, doing amazing work to support students, to equip students, to provide a place for community, training, and equipping for outreach and great support and great fellowship. What should students look for to make sure they find a healthy fellowship? That's a good question. What I would hope for my daughter is that she would, she would be looking for and finding, whether this is within a church or, or within a you know, parachurch organization, a group of students and staff that are serious about scripture, that are serious about authentic growth in a, in a Christian's life, that are honest about who they are and who they're not, and are looking for, for opportunities to really challenge and grow and care for students. I, I love the idea of my daughter being in a safe place, but I don't think that's just it. I, I think it, it really needs to be a, a good place. And by good, I mean one that, that provides safety, but also provides rigor and provides challenge and provides growth. You know, a, a place that has, has expectations for being serious around worship, around outreach, around fellowship, around study, around community. Yeah, so that's what I would encourage folks to look good, for. Good, thanks. So I asked you what the challenges were that were unique to the Christian college context that people ought to be aware of, students and parents, what would be your answer to that question concerning secular universities, public or non-Christian private universities? 
you know, I think some of the challenges for students at, at secular universities certainly have to do with, well, I mean, it gets back to, to the earlier part of our conversation that we just had. I mean, finding, first of all, finding a place where they're growing and where they're connected with Christians. So that, that, that's an imperative. But I, beyond that, and, and without that, I think the kind of social challenges that will face students, the pressures to, to maybe get involved with things in life that, that aren't healthy and beneficial, I mean, those are profound. And, and I'll say, I mean, that, those opportunities don't just happen at secular universities. I think in the classroom, I think I have a, a, bit, of a bit of a narrow history, given that my study was in engineering. You know, as an undergrad, I did venture away from engineering courses, but not as a grad student. And so I think my experience, it's, it's, not a, it's narrower. So it's not, I'm not going to offer maybe the fullest answer to your question, but it can be very challenging, especially depending on the discipline and the area, to be in a discipline where Christian aspects and Christian integration isn't, I mean, that's not even part of the conversation. And it, it might be so that it's actually antagonistic to the Christian faith. There are a number of examples, um, a long list of examples where students have felt marginalized, alienated, you know, get to a defensive posture. And, and it can be a really difficult situation because you have power structures with faculty and with students. And, you know, you might have a majority of students that are challenging the essence of who you are and the core of your faith um, at the intellectual level and sometimes at the, the level of practice and how you live things out. And so I think there, there's real challenge and real pressure within the classroom for Christians. I think that's less so in, in more professional, professionally based and focused programs and probably heightened in other areas, other disciplines. But that, that, that can be a, a real challenge. It can be especially hard if you're not, you're not plugged into a, a good church and a good Christian community. Are there other things the students could be thinking about if they're in that situation? Yeah, I think so. There are Christian study centers on campuses. They aren't as ubiquitous as um, some of the other parachurch. I think between 30 and 40 campuses uh, in North America have these, these study centers, these centers for Christian study, and, and they tend to be dovetailed or proximate to the campus. And it's a place for, for community and fellowship. Um, but I think generally that the emphasis is less on, on ministry and outreach and more on study and thinking about frameworks, Christian frameworks for a discipline. And so if you happen to be at a university that has a center for Christian study, that could be a terrific asset. I think a, another great way to, to enter into the conversation when it's choppy and when it's challenging is to find like-minded folks. And that can come from students. And that can happen with faculty, too. They're, in my experience, it's not typically very hard to find Christian faculty at universities. You can ask around among, among other students, and sometimes there, there are you know, statements at Christmas time or Easter time in, in the, the school's uh, newspaper where there are faculty that are, that are essentially saying, this is who I am. I'm celebrating who Christ is, and I'm, I'm glad to be part of, part of that family. And so I think finding Christian faculty within your discipline or even outside of your discipline could be a significant step. Is that a part of your story, either undergrad or grad? Um, not so much. I certainly, I mean, I certainly was aware of 
faculty that were were vocal in that way at all three of the the public universities I I went to. I knew some as an undergrad uh, because of church, and I I knew some of them as as a graduate student because of both church and because of university. We will return to our discussion in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing to be or currently a university student? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to do just this. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn more and see how you can be a part of equipping Christian professors to show Christ's love to students on a campus near you and worldwide. And now back to the show. So I'm going to make an assumption, and I don't know if you'll agree with this. If not, tell me why. If so, help me understand then what that leads to. My assumption is that there's no one size fits all here, that some students would do better at a Christian university, some would do better at a public university or a private secular institution. And if that's the case, if that's a a right assumption, are there any general markers of these type of students coming out of high school ought to look more seriously at a Christian institution and these other type of students ought to look at, at a secular context? If your assumption is that there's there's no single righteous decision about where to study, I'm in full agreement. If that if that was your assumption, it is. Would you say a bit more about that? You know, just in the same way that we make big decisions and we seek to find God's call in our life, and it could be a decision about any mm-hmm. list of questions: taking a job, uh, a spouse, a house whether to move. I mean, there's, there's a whole list of significant decision points where we get on our knees and we discern God's call for our life. I would say that the decision of where to study is very likely, it's certainly the biggest decision a student will have made, likely. I mean, there might be some exceptions. So certainly at that point in a student's life, the, the biggest decision they will have made and arguably one of the top decisions they will ever make in their life. Right. And so I, I think coming from, from that perspective of where God is calling me to as a student is the right starting point. And so it gets back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, the questions of, you know, where will I thrive? Where, where can I see myself living out every aspect of, of what God's called me to be? Not just, not just as a student and thriving on campus, but thinking longer term. Where will a four-year or five-year experience bring about the greatest prospect for thriving long-term? The greatest prospect for having agency as a, as a follower of Christ in the kingdom. There's a lot of gravity, right, with that decision, but, but all the more reason to, to think about it, you know, in terms of calling and, and as a discernment process. No surprise, I, the idea of faithing the decision in prayer is, is huge. And not just you praying, not just your family praying, but inviting others to pray for you. But, but I think part of that discernment process is also thinking mm-hmm. a bit practically. So, you know, we, we think about the way God opens and closes doors, the, the way that, you know, certain decisions feel right, look right, where there's some obvious yellow flags, red flags. As you're working through prayerfully the discernment process, 
I would think about things in this way. I would, I would think about non-negotiables. What are non-negotiable for you in the experience? Does the university or college, whether it's secular or Christian, have the right academic program? Not all schools do. And if you're thinking about a professional program, is it accredited? That's, that's a non-negotiable. Another non-negotiable is affordability. And this is something I've wrestled with. In my personal experience with my daughter, my inclination has, has been to want to shut doors based on perceived affordability. And I think there's some wisdom in not shutting doors too quickly around affordability, but getting the, the real read, the final cost, and then, and then making a decision. Other non-negotiables might include what's available outside of the classroom. For some students, being able to, to play in a high-level music ensemble is a non-negotiable. For some students, being able to, to compete in varsity ath- athletics is a non-negotiable. Honors programs might be a non-negotiable. So there, there are a lot of things that, that a student and a family can do to look practically at what, what really has to be true uh, of, a, of a campus experience. I would think about the decision in terms of stewardship. So we, we talked about affordability already, and we've talked about calling already. But I would, you know, as a parent, and arguably for my daughter, as a student who's going to live in to the experience, it, it's a question of stewardship. Where are my gifts? Where are my talents? Where are my passions? Uh, and I mentioned this earlier in a different way, but where are those likely to be uncorked? Where are those likely to be realized for four years so that it's an amazing four-year experience, but also so that I'm, I'm equipped for the, for the long term? You know, the, the question of stewardship is huge. One real uh, statistical difference that, that a family should consider is, is how long is it going to take to get through the university? I would ask this question at every turn. So what's a typical stay for a university student? And if you're interested in a particular program, what's the average duration when you talk about affordability, there's a big difference between a real four-year degree at a higher cost per year than a, a, a five-year degree that might cost less per year where you also sacrifice a year of earnings. So thinking about it, thinking beyond sticker price and thinking, thinking even beyond what the, the real cost per year is in light of what, what a realistic expectation for you know, how long you're likely to be there. I, I, I would be very careful um, and encourage folks to think, think wisely about that. And then there's some other questions. Some of them might fall into the non-negotiable category. How far do you want to be from home? I had a conversation with the daughter of a friend about a month ago who's uh, interested in civil engineering. They live in California, and a non-negotiable for her is studying in the Midwest. East Coast is fine. West Coast is fine. Uh, Midwest... No way. So, I mean, that's, 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 a good, that's a good thing to know. And that, that's going to help make a decision. So distance from home, I would include on that list geography. Do you want to be in an urban setting? Do you want to be in a rural setting? Do you want to be in a city? Do you want to be in a metropolitan area? Do you want to be someplace close to the outdoors? So these are, these are very practical considerations. But I think, you know, when you're working through a, a high gravity discernment process, all the data helps. Everything that you can, not to sound too much like an engineer, but every bit of information that you can factor in to the decision is going to help. Do you want to be on a big campus, small campus, big city, small city? I think another really important question is Mm -hmm. class size. 
Do you want to be uh, in a program where your classes are 10 to 20 students, maybe 30 students, or are you comfortable with uh, large lectures of 10 times that, where you're in a large lecture hall with three or four or 500 students? Uh, I think another factor, another, another question that could be a differentiator and a distinctive is, and this is maybe a bit hard to get to, find out whether classes are taught by professors or whether they're taught by TAs and what the, what the balance might For be. For our listeners, what's a TA? A TA is a teaching assistant, typically a graduate student. And to be fair, I've had teaching assistants for courses that were outstanding. I've had um, faculty that were outstanding. And I've, I've had teaching assistants and, and professors that weren't mm-hmm. outstanding. So just because you, you have courses taught by TAs doesn't mean they will be taught poorly. But it is a factor. And how do you find out if it's a course taught by a TA? Is that indicated somewhere? That, that's something that the university should be honest and okay. about. And if not university, you could get a very quick reality check in a conversation with professors or with students. I think that would be a great check on that. Those are some considerations I would encourage folks to, to be, very, you know, be very mindful of as they're thinking about where, where to head. In addition to that, and this gets back to, to how you framed the question earlier, Stan, in terms of markers, I think that list of questions is, is relevant regardless of the university you're, you're considering. I think another list that might help students and families think about this is what, what does it mean? How important is it that a class would be taught by a Christian professor? And so one of the distinctives of Christian colleges and universities is Christian faculty. You know, and, and that has obvi- some obvious benefits. In Christian faculty, you have living, breathing, working, teaching role models that are living out their Christian walk in front of students. In addition to that, you have Christian faculty that, and I mentioned this earlier, but I, I do want to cycle back to this. You have, you have Christian faculty that ideally and when, when done best are, are integrating thoroughly Christian frameworks with not just how they teach, but the way they teach and how the, the content is wrestled with. It's not unusual for faculty and sometimes staff on campus to provide some pastoral or discipleship opportunities for students. A lot of faculty get really excited about developing relationships with students that are outside a classroom that might have to do with student orgs, might have to do with off-campus programs, might have to do with um, undergraduate research, but there are, there are amazing opportunities for students to, to have that kind of outside-of-the-classroom experience with faculty. And so, you know, if those kinds of things get you excited, that would be a good indication of where thriving could occur. Well, I'd also like you to circle back on the ways to maximize a campus visit. You mentioned a few things earlier, but you said you want to come back to that. So talk a bit more about that. Yeah. This is what I would start with is basic bottom line entry point interaction and conversations. Um, Certainly have a conversation with an admissions counselor. Those are typically 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and an admissions counselor is going to do their best to, to represent the college or university, you know, give an overview of what it's about and become kind of the first point of contact for further mm. conversation. So, you know, if there's an interest in uh, athletics or music ensemble or, you know, down the list, ideally the admissions counselor should be, should be thinking about what comes next if it's, if it's not already on the radar screen, you know, from previous conversation and communication. Meeting with financial aid, 
even if you don't think you qualify or you need it, folks are, are often surprised what might be available, might be surprised at you know, some of the scholarships, the merit-based scholarships that are available and, and would, be, would be coming to a student. So financially, that's always worth a visit. And, you know, it, it's very typical and really good to, to take a tour of the campus, just physically take a tour. It's amazing how often, in my experience, uh, after the fact, students will say something like, it was walking campus where I felt a sense of home, or I didn't feel a sense of home. And so having a campus tour, you know, usually an hour, even if it's virtual, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody that has, has made that it feels like home after a virtual <laughs> tour, but I suppose it's possible. So a campus tour. So that those would be basic entry points, I think. And then, you know, assuming that there, there's sustained interest, I would, if not the first visit, certainly with a follow-on visit, you know, meet with a professor or two, participate in a classroom. And, and usually those, those classroom experiences that are available, they're real classes, you know, and so they, they have a few seats in the back that a prospective student and maybe a family, usually it's a student where they'll just sit in the back and the professor will teach the course, mindful that there are visitors, but it, it really isn't going to look any different than it would if they weren't there. And that's a great opportunity to see, see what a classroom experience is like, how the content is delivered, how faculty and students engage each other and you know, whether there's, there's a one-way conversation or a two-way conversation. Whenever I've met with prospective students and families, I do everything I can to, to get them some time with students. And often it could be an impromptu walking around and finding a group of one or two students that might be sitting, studying together and just saying, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? And having an honest conversation with the students but also looking for extended conversations and opportunities to not just talk with students, but, but to live for a part of a night and part of the next day and, and even, you know, staying in the, in the residence halls. Any opportunity that, that you can have to try the campus on, you know, literally put it on and take it for a test drive, the better. And then, you know, I think I talked about some of these things and thinking about any campus visit. You, know, you want to understand what, what's realistic in terms of graduation rates average times for study within a particular program. I think it's crucial understanding what happens to, to graduates, uh, you know, where, where mm -hmm. they're placed, how quickly they place, how quickly they find work, what kind of work that is. And, you know, if you're interested in further study, whether it's graduate study or professional study and in law or medicine, I mean, just down the list, health sciences, the legal field, or any, any kind of other graduate study, ministry, divinity degree or theological degree, getting a, a good understanding of where graduates go and how well they do in different settings is, is critical. That, that's a great indication of the quality of the program. You're asking the question of return on investment. Am I going to get a job? What are my chances? Yeah. If 30% of the people yeah. out yeah. of this program actually get jobs, the program can be great. And uh, that doesn't mean you ought to do it. How, how do yeah. students or parents find that information? Is that usually on a website? Do you have to go meet with the department? Usually, a college or university is going to have placement data. I know, uh, at least for Calvin and, and for some of its sister institutions and, and smaller universities and colleges, it's often that kind of information is often available on program websites. So, if you were to visit, you know, if you're interested in business, you'd visit the, the business program website and they're going to have not just data, but anecdotes for their, you know, that, that highlight mm -hmm. their grads and, and try and paint a 
with the best foot forward, try and paint, you know, a picture of what, what an expectation for a grad can be. So that, that data is uh, available. Uh, if it's not, you can ask for it. And if it's still not, then my skeptical or cynical take would be, I'd be concerned if you, if you can't get your hands mm-hmm. on that information. Yeah. Well, Dave, as we wrap up, are there other things that listeners need to hear that I haven't asked you about that you'd want to make sure are talked about? Yeah, I mean, I'll sh- share a few things. I, and, and maybe I've hinted at, at some of these along the way. I see what I'm about to say uh, in conversations. And, I, and I've had, I think now, hundreds of conversations with prospective sure. students. The, the interest level in the agenda of parents is not always the same as the interest level and agenda of students. And so I, I think being honest about that as a family is really important. I think working through some of the common desires and goals for a university or college experience is really important. And being honest about those, those points of difference or those, those inclinations or expectations where there might be a difference is, is hugely important. There, there, there will be stress with the decision. I mean, the, the, these decisions are stressful, but I think, I think there are good reasons to stick with just the necessary stress and avoid the unnecessary stress of these kinds of decisions. Now, it's easy for me to say. I think it's hard to do. It's a conversation within a conversation that has mm-hmm. to happen. So I would encourage parents and, and you know, prospective students, their, their children, to, to be honest with, with each other and, and, and work through that. You hit on this just a few minutes ago, you know, so, so when you think about the significant financial investment that a college or university experience represents, and you think about the time investment, I think there are generally two ways to think about that. I think, I think you can think about it as a purchase, you know, you're, you're purchasing a four-year experience or a five-year experience or whatever typical length of study is for that program and that university or college. So you're purchasing experience, and you certainly are. But it, it, if possible, I would encourage folks to think about it as an mm-hmm. investment, that, that this is really an investment in a lifetime. So it's, it's hard to tease those two apart from each other because I think, I think the onus is on universities and, and colleges to, to provide an amazing experience for students. But, but I, as a parent and as, as a faculty member, what, what happens with an undergraduate program for students is they're being equipped for a lifetime, a lifetime of service. And, and then the question is, is it worth the investment? I mean, what is the return using your, your word? What's, what's, what's the realistic return on this investment over a lifetime? And I'm not talking, obviously there's a financial return and, and that you can get to, but I'm, I'm talking about the non-financial, kingdom-based, eternity-based, lives of significance-based returns on investment uh, from a four-year or five-year experience. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage folks to think about, uh, understand that, that it's, it's a purchase, but it's, it's also, and maybe more importantly, it's really an investment. It's a lifetime investment. It's a, it's a heart grabber, you know, up front, you know, thinking about the investment, but the dividends and the return and, and the impact lifelong is really the perspective that, that I would encourage folks to enter into the decision with. 
Dave, you've shared a wealth of information with listeners. I appreciate it. Is there any place you'd especially want people to know about in terms of resources online or even books that they ought to access? Yeah, so I, I won't mention any books, but when I'm looking for information, I go to the web, rightly or wrongly. And so if there's curiosity, if there's interest uh, around Christian colleges and universities, I, I think an obvious, or if not the obvious place to start is the, the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities website, CCCU, and it, it's easy to find. And so they'll have um, links on their site to member institutions. That would be an obvious place if, if somebody's trying to demystify the Christian higher ed landscape. There are a number of websites where um, kind of basic, I wouldn't say unfiltered, but, you know, just kind of entry-level important information is available. College Confidential is a website. You know, it, it's not hard to find these kinds of websites. What you could do um, is you could type in a, an institution's name and ACT scores or actual cost, and you'll get a, a long list of potential sites to visit. Great. That's very helpful. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's been a great conversation. I'm thankful for your service to the kingdom and your willingness to take a little bit of time and, and talk about these important issues with me and, and the listeners to this podcast. Thanks, Dan. It's, um, it's been a pleasure and, and it, it's truly a privilege to have a conversation with you and to, and to talk about such an important decision and such, a, such an important time for families and for, for students. So thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education helps you or someone you love flourish in both heart and mind during the university years. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash college faith. And you can follow me on Twitter at Stan W. Wallace. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to learn how you can be a part of creating lasting change in higher education worldwide. And if you haven't done so already, I would greatly appreciate your review of the show at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps a lot. And finally, I encourage you to pass this show on to your friends or others you think would enjoy hearing our conversation. So until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.